Welcome to the Partnership Podcast. My name is Kier Dubois, designer and co-founder of Tightship Design. My partner and co-founder in Tightship is designer Julia Savan. Together we create branding and design for events and conferences. We're trying something new here. As event brand designers, we're curious about unique or unusual challenges. We like to see how other partnerships of our size approach and deal with these kinds of projects. Our first episode is something special and spooky for Halloween. It's unlike any event we've worked with for any client. We met Jennifer and Gregory Jericho through the AIGA Professional Design Association. They were leading the Baltimore chapter when Julia was doing the same for New Orleans and I was doing the same for Santa Barbara. Jen and Greg founded their company, the Jericho Vinegar Works, as a design and illustration studio in the Fells Point neighborhood of Baltimore. But their collaboration went to a whole other level when Poe Baltimore asked them to produce a funeral for Edgar Allan Poe during the annual International Poe Festival back at the beginning of October. We talked to them recently about how that event came together and what their challenges and successes were. We learned a lot about spooky friends, predator masks, emergency exacto knives, eerie vibes, and somber, unsettling beauty. Listen in here as Julia starts us off. Where did the original concept to have a, a funeral for Edgar Allan Poe in Baltimore come from? So Greg's been volunteering for the Edgar Allan Poe House. Uh, it was on his bucket list. Uh, he's not, neither one of us are originally from Baltimore. And a few years back, we uh, considered moving out of the city. And so he decided to kind of check some things off his bucket list. And so this year, uh, it's been under new management for the last year. And so they wanted to really make some changes and um, invited us to put on the um, funeral reenactment and candlelight vigil. But uh, really, it was so funny because we were told that like, we really just wanted to add an additional event to the International Edgar Allan Poe Festival. But they were just blown away by what we were able to pull off. Um, little did they know that we're both obsessed with, you know, designing experiences. And so what we did was the Carroll Mansion wasn't part of any of Edgar Allan Poe's history. So our job was to completely change that space to make you feel like you were in a completely different area. And um, when we walked through the space the first time, we started thinking about how when you're in a graveyard, you don't generally walk a straight line from point A to point B because you're usually navigating through the different gravestones. So we hired, well, we asked a photographer to join us in collaborating. This is a great group of collaborators. I have to say that there's no way we would have ever pulled it off if we didn't, you know, recruit these people to come along. And so our photographer went out into Poe's graveyard and took these shots. And I really wanted, the Carroll Mansion is a very old house here in Baltimore, also very historic, has these huge windows. So what we had her do is not just take, you know, traditional pictures of the gravestones, but um, the small details, textures, plants, sort of how you see through um, into the graveyard into different areas. So when you're standing in the room, you would have these different layers of photography where you could see, look in the windows and see like a path that would take you through. And then when it came to the other details, they all kind of started falling in together. Uh, the Poe Baltimore manager actually had a casket designed as well as these beautiful uh, candle, uh, you know, so that people could make their donations um, and pay, pay respects to Poe by lighting a candle like you might in a, in a Catholic church. Um, and so uh, Greg designed these beautiful prayer cards. We did these foil printed uh, prayer cards with the local printer here that just, they just come out incredible. He 
just it has a brand new it, it was a different type of uh, printing uh, foil printing we didn't have to create custom stamps um, he's figured out a way to turn uh, was it a black ink and it's like whatever you print on black ink this this uh, foil will stick to so he ran it through the machine the first time uh, to get the black image down and then he ran it through again, got the foil down and then ran it through again to get the print down. And we tried it in different orders. He had us there for a good, good hour, hour and a half or so. Just want to try one more thing. We're going to try one more thing. And we let him go and, and it's worth every second of that. Apparently it was originally a laminating machine, but he's just managed to figure out how to do oil <laughs> printing with it. Happily invite you over to come see this process. It was great. Yeah. Um, but then the final part, obviously the biggest component was what we were going to do with Poe. So, you know, we had done, uh, I think one of our biggest inspirations for me specifically was the um, World War II Museum that's in, down in Louisiana. Uh, it is just such an incredible experience. I have, uh, we went there earlier this year and just seeing how they were able to take all these different aspects of the way that you walk through it, right? So there's sound, there's sight, there's film, there's things that you can touch and interact with, but it doesn't matter what type of person you are. There's something that you can hook onto as you're walking through that museum. And so we wanted to create that in this very small scale so that no matter where you looked, be it lighting, be it texture, we had the coffin lid in this closet and then we lit it up so it kind of looked like you were looking inside into the grave it's um, in the shit the coffin is definitely in the shape of a coffin it's caught you know so that when the lid came off we're like well here's poe and we have no place to attach the lid because it's old school it nails you know nails down and jennifer put it into this vault that was in the carol mansion room that we were using that i guess they used to keep all their keys in it looks like looks like maybe the servant key area or whatever big thick vault and <clears throat> Jennifer put the the coffin lid in there with its distinctive shape and had it lit with a, a, a flickering candle light one of the battery operated ones in back of it and so yeah when you stood in front of it the depth of the vault along with the very subtle light really gave this really it was completely unintentional this eerie eerie uh, like looking into open grave kind of thing but without being too haunted housey that's one thing we did not want even though i love wax museums i love fun houses i love haunted houses i went to mortuary school so uh you know but i never got to complete it so i never got to direct the funeral i always just did the little errands behind the scenes uh while doing my internship so this was like a, a chance for me to actually do that uh, it was really a challenge to keep myself in check on this, and it, it ended up, by all uh, all accounts, it was a class act. We wanted to just take it to a level so that people would bring sort of that somber feel to it. And so I think that was also part of it, because when it was suggested, hey, why don't you use uh, an actor as the body of Poe, um, we both felt that that wasn't going to really deliver. So we had a good friend who loves the Predator, and uh, <laughs> was sculpting predator hands and making a predator suit, and he jumped right on it. It was it was just uh, I don't know. I'll give it a shot. Next thing you know, he's got pictures blown up on his laptop, and he's he's studying the shadows because there's no profile picture of Poe, so he had to understand through the existing pictures what Poe's head would have looked like from all angles. Again, never having done anything like this before. And he sculpted a skull, and then he built on top of it, and then, like, got rid of it and started over. And it is an unsettling piece of work. 
very beautiful. It, it got he got the reactions that he wanted. He got people that were afraid to walk up to the casket. He got the people that got really emotional. Um, we had people thank us for giving Poe the funeral that he deserved. It was really interesting. Um, and then the final component for us was we had uh, local um, clothiers. Um, he designed the suit for Poe. Um, so it was just it all came together beautifully, and all of those little pieces that we wanted to craft to bring together it all stood out and everyone noticed and really took part in it. And we had a few surprises along the way, um, which were really interesting because uh, our printer, when we printed the very large scale fabric panels, black and white photos of the graveyard and on black foam core to make sure we kept that kind of darkness and largest printed piece that we sent to print, we forgot to put the dimensions on the spreadsheet. And so they didn't, they printed it, like tiny Ooh. and we needed it to be the biggest piece and so suddenly you had this big wall with nothing on it <laughs> so you didn't have that wall piece to use oh no no nope. yeah, we we had to create something new the night before yeah so well, at the the midnight before we're supposed to be done uh greg and i were talking and he did he illustrated uh the six panels of the final days of poe um because there's a lot of myth around his death so that was one of our jobs as well was to uh dispel some of them mm -hmm. um and so we're sitting there saying well how are we going to put these up or we had this original idea to put them in where the coffin lid was now but that looks so great and we're like what do we do and Greg had an anthology of all of Poe's work, and I started grabbed an X-Acto knife and started cutting out the pages all night light, cut, cutting them out. And then I ended up making this massively large sort of background of all of Poe's work that then we mounted the illustrations on. And it was 10 times better than yeah. anything I could have imagined. Well, we were able to bring his writing into his funeral. I thought that was yeah. It was like, it, it was, it, we, we all know that, but then when you get in the funeral experience, then you forget this is, you know, you forget the, the writer part. So it was, it, it was great to have that there. So that was our spooky kickoff to October. Yeah. yeah. Halloween. But then that was one aspect of the overall Poe Festival? Yeah, they're called Poe Baltimore, and mm -hmm. they are in charge of the Edgar Allan Poe House and Museum uh, that we have here. Uh, the city, I don't understand all the ins and outs exactly, but I guess the city technically owns it as a, as a museum, but they don't fund it. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's up to that board, that, that Poe Baltimore board, to to uh, translate Edgar Allan Poe's history for the public as far as the house and his life in Baltimore goes. One of the things that we really enjoyed about working with them as a client was when you have these small museums, they have limited funds and they're really depending on all these different events to raise money so that they can continue to operate. Um, and there's, you know, it's a historic home. It's not in the best neighborhoods. So a lot of the traffic is international. It doesn't get a lot of local or regional visitors. It's a lot of people that know Poe internationally. So, uh, some of the other Poe museums, there's one in Richmond and the Bronx and Philadelphia, tend to have more traffic. They've been taken care of a little bit more. And so that was part of the how do we give back in a way and how do we help uh, bring them and, and help them grow so that they're not, they don't get lost and then, you know, continue to be city owned and just, you know, being kept. And so 
um, the rest of the festival, they open up the Poe house uh, so that you can go and visit where he lived and learn a little bit. They have some artifacts there. And then they had a festival. So vendors and she wanted to keep it very gothic and dark. So it was, you know, vendors and food trucks and all that kind of stuff um, on the street. But they were on opposite sides of the city. Uh, just because of the space and the venue that she was able to find. So connecting the two was very difficult, and that took some work on her part to really tie in all those promotions together and make sure that everything got the traffic that they needed. Plus, it was Fleet Week in Baltimore, um, which is huge. So uh, there was a whole lot of challenges there uh, (laughs) for the city to manage the crowds and, and get it. But we got almost over 400 people that came to see the exhibit and on the opening reception people from the richmond house and the bronx house came up and 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 we had people from colorado and lots of people came out to to see it they were very excited so that was really nice so what i'm getting is the the intangible stuff like people being afraid to walk up to the casket or weeping or pulling it off logistically in two different locations like that i mean mean as much or or maybe more Them them, uh, being immersed into the experience was so important because in all actuality, it's a room. And so how do you make one room and say, hey, walk in there and experience it? And so that was the other last minute component for us was, okay, so people are walking off the street. It's a weekend. There are festivals. How do you get people in a very fast amount of time to somber up? focus, pay attention, and experience something that will be gone quickly because the house of the limitations of the amount of people, you had your 15 minutes and then you had to move on. We couldn't, we didn't want crowds because then it doesn't feel like a funeral. Then it just feels like, you know, you've got like a stampede running through the exhibit. So that's when we decided to add the performance component. And and this was completely unexpected but it just happened to be that my our photographer uh she collects funeral garb from different time periods and i just happened to rent the runway and get a really gothy lace dress that was very period specific no idea how that happened it was magical greg had something to wear and next thing you know the collaborators of the exhibit were the mourners of the exhibit Mm-hmm. And when we brought people in, the Carroll Mansion had these lovely sort of rooms that, you know, like a foyer where all the doors were closed. So we were able to have Greg do sort of an opening performance presentation where he taught, he said the obituary of Poe and um, uh, gave a little history about the, his final days. And, and in that small five minutes that he spoke, people sort of said it's time to pay attention right and then we just opened the doors and he came up with this you know i will walk through and then with my mourners and then the crowd will follow and suddenly you had people they were like you know they're walking through these sheets to like see stuff and it was interesting like they were ready for it because we were really worried that we were just going to have a bunch of people with flash taking pictures and you know not really paying attention to what we wanted to and at each time we did it it got better yeah yeah how many times? It was eight, eight or not eight, eight by eight times, I think, <clears throat> between the two. Well, more than that, because we split up. They split the tour buses in half, and they came through. So between two and two, two tours every hour, and then would always have some surprise tour. So, yes. at, so I guess between eight and ten times yeah. a day. So I think we ended up doing it about fifteen to twenty times. Yeah, it's my bad. Math. <laughs> Did you get any recordings of uh, giving the obituary? 
We, somebody did. Um, I, I don't know who did. Um, I didn't record any, I didn't pull out my phone one time during that whole thing because I accept to read, but I, I would read from my phone behind a book, you know, but other than that, like I was not taking pictures, recording anything, but somebody did. Some, there were a couple people. We had a few. We had a radio station come to and he, I think I saw him right. recording it. Yeah. yeah. So yes, I'm hoping, we're hoping, we're trying to see these pictures now coming out because I think, I took some pictures at the very beginning, so I want to document this. I think a lot of it is, you know, what happens now. We put all this work in. We have a sculpted bow and a suit. You know, how can we use this again, or, or how might we leverage this to do other projects that are related to this? So we're still kind of figuring that out. But I want to document it either way. Cause I think telling the story of how we came, it came about, especially most people that people aren't familiar with Poe, and that's what I learned is that they know who Poe is, but they're not familiar with the history or why it's so important to to do this funeral reenactment and pay respects to this author. In Baltimore. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. And we definitely said that in that opening piece that I, I, I read for the people who came in. We said this is for uh, the author. It's for the mystery you know, as appropriate as it is that Poe, the master mystery writer, has the biggest mystery as to what in hell happened to him in the last two weeks after he left Richmond. And I, and then I said, and also to the city that contains this mystery, it was very tied into Baltimore. It was the, the whole history was, was, you know, how important he is to, to this city in particular. So do you have any do you have any any details or any, any cool solutions that you found for for decking out this space it, with the constraints that you had? Absolutely. So that's a great question because I think first of all um, our budget kind of changed because at first I thought it was going to be zero, yeah. and that I tend to be you know I think when you're part of an AIGA board you learn to work with zero often. Um, <laughs> so I think that's already made us kind of figure out, okay, well, this is this is how we can pull this off. These are the resources we have. But then uh, the Poe Baltimore manager actually received a grant, and that helped fund part of our exhibit. Um, and I don't know all the specifics about the grant, but it was just enough to be able to say, oh, we could go buy some stuff. Um, but it was the same thing, right? So how do you create that experience? So one of my friends in Philadelphia was part of the uh, Terracotta Warriors at the Franklin Institute. And she told me a little bit about the process of bringing that exhibit to the United States and how many months and years. And she said, you know, usually what you do with an exhibit is you open it up privately first. You watch people interact in the space and move around and then you change things and adapt as to what you're seeing the people and how they're moving around. And that's when we're sitting back going, uh, we don't have that opportunity. We just have to put it up and see what happens. And so... I think that some of the the tricks that we used first was lighting. We went to Michael's and found, first of all, they were amazing. There were these electric um, candles, candles, the battery-powered candles. They just happened to be all vanilla, though, because they were 50% off. And I was scared out of my mind because I had bought, like, I don't know, like 30 of these that this whole room was going to stink like vanilla. And I'm very sensitive to smell, so I was I was freaking out. I took it out of the box, and I was like, oh, no. Um, but luckily, it added a beautiful scent of vanilla to it. <laughs> Parlor. Sure um, so the lighting itself, we took down all the track lights 
And so that was one of the things that was really important. We were telling people who were coming around taking pictures with Flash, and Greg actually ended up adding it to his introduction, was if you use Flash in your images, you're just going to ruin your memories. And it was. It was this, there's hidden secrets here. Right. You know, and like, don't ruin it for yourself because you're going to see the secrets. You're going to see sort of things tucked away that you're not supposed to see. And so... Um, that was one of them. The other one was, and this I take all credit for uh, the, the Po manager. She was amazing. She found someone that was selling wholesale flowers and she bought us 12 dozen roses. And so that was hilarious to watch people walk through and thinking everything was fake. Cause I had designed a mantle with, you know, plastic flowers, but we were also thinking, you know, sustainability. We're not trying to create all this waste. Yeah. This is only a pop-up two days. Right, right. I don't want to buy a bunch of stuff I'm going to throw out. So, um, we, she had the idea and found the connection and got us all the roses and, and people were very impressed to see that just the sheer amount of roses, and the other part is, I guess we have some really spooky friends because um, I did research in, in Victorian period, specifically uh, during morning times, they would uh, put fabric over mirrors. And so I started doing fabric over the mirrors and fabric over the lamps that I have in my house and fabric over these tiny little tables that we own because we live in a nine foot house. So I got to say, I don't know that everyone could have pulled this off but between me and Greg's stuff and, and our photographer, the, the three of us had enough period strain. She loves to do what's it called? Estate uh, sale buying. So, and we had just done it because we just moved into our temporary home and we bought a bunch of stuff from an estate sale. So I had this like great, like oval creepy mirror that I brought along with me. So I think it would have probably been a lot harder um, if it just happened to be that we just kept saying, what other fabrics do you have? What else do you have that we can bring? Any other furniture? Do you have a lamp? And it worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Always pays to have spooky friends. <laughs> so you said, Jen, you said you wanted to document it a little bit more. What do you think you want to do with it as far as making it permanent to say that, you know, this is a major accomplishment that we had? Absolutely. I think there's a combination of things. So a lot of the documenting was because I kept my entire team on lockdown and I didn't want a lot shared on social media until we were ready. And it's always I laugh at myself now just thinking about it. It's like, well, don't you know, everyone's going to see it. Like, you know, that doesn't happen because <laughs> there's so much happening. So I think there's going to be a little bit of that surprise factor. I wanted a little bit more control over the story um, in terms of what happens next. It is really Poe Baltimore. Greg's been working with them and we've thought about a few things. We'd love to take it to the other houses um, and maybe, you know, have it in Richmond, have it in the Bronx, have it in Philadelphia. Um, we'd love to bring it back next year for the International Poe Festival. But um, the Poe Baltimore and the, the museum itself is run by a board. So in the end, they are the final decision makers. So we have intellectual property over the exhibit. Um, they cannot use any of the components of that exhibit without us. Um, we are hoping that they were impressed enough and that they raised enough money uh, that they want to bring it back so that we can try it again. I think this is so new that like we're still processing, you know, what to do next. Yeah. I think that as a, a small studio, you know, we're usually used to traditional, more traditional projects. We've done some illustration work. We've done animation work. This blew our mind. I said I had so much fun playing artist all weekend. You know, it's like uh, we're an artist. <laughs> 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 
So then where, where's Poe right now, and what's he going to be doing for the next year or so? Uh, it's, it's a good one. So my idea was, like, if starting next year on, that be an event. We put the lid on that casket. We put the casket on display at the Poe House or in the Visitor Center, whenever that gets built. Put it in there behind glass, but it's always screwed shut. It's always nailed down. So anyone who comes in, would it, we'd have a little plaque. It'd be like, this is Edgar Allan Poe for the... And I can, I mean, I know I would. I would be like, is there a body in there? Is there mm-hmm. a Allan Poe in there? And then, you know, the people at the museum would say, yes, there is. And I would just be chomping at the bit to see it. I'd be like, oh, it's behind glass. Oh, I can't see it all. Like the mystery, right? Yeah. The mystery. It's the biggest thing for me. It's been, especially like with this exhibit and probably for, I don't know, six months prior, I've like everything that is mysterious. I'm all about, I don't want the answers. Like I don't really want, I want to want the answers, but I don't want the answers. So he wants to uh, then unveil and open the casket. Yep. Um, That's, that that would be a perfect world. I would love this. Uh, but currently it's sitting with a sculptor likely next to a predator head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now how can people who are, are fans of Poe or would like to learn more about him and would actually come to Baltimore and visit the Poe Fest next year, um, how can they show their support for the Poe funeral again? Um, I, I would imagine uh, by going to the Poe po Baltimore, so their social media event pages, of which there are by Van and Eventbrite and, a, and a Facebook and everything, and just keeping an eye on when they announce for the next time. And then in the meantime, the, really the only place, if you miss the opportunity, the only place you can see them is either on social media or in Davis's basement. Yes. Um, <laughs> but visiting the graveyard is, is quite an experience. It's a beautiful graveyard. Poe had several burial places in that graveyard, so he has a few uh, gravestones. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, his gravestone is beautiful, so that's a, a great way to come visit him any time of the year, and yeah. not just on his death day. And the Poe house itself, if you're... If, if, well, something that a, a lot, even big Poe fans don't realize is, A, uh, he was able to support himself as a writer in the Baltimore house because he was living with a relative who had a pension. So he didn't have to pay the rent and he could explore alternative ways of making a living and he always wanted to be a writer. And in that respect, he is the first American writer to make his living off of writing alone. Wow. Anyone prior would have been a teacher or a patent clerk or something along those lines and then also a writer. But he was uh, the first to make his living exclusively from, and he did that in that Baltimore house. So it's especially, it's especially important. All right. Thank you both. That's all for our first episode of the Partnership Podcast. My name is Kier Dubois. My partner Julia Savan and I will return with another episode soon. Until then, follow our work at tightshipdesign.com or on social media at tightshipdesign. Thanks for listening.